You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Well, I was pretty hip this week. I had a pokey seafood dinner with a former Muni Bond trader friend, and last night they gave me hope for American healthcare. About 10 years ago, they had to disclose their 3% commissions to their customers that they'd been dealing with, with for decades. And decades-long customers were outraged they were getting 3% on multi-million dollar bond trades. They demanded a 90% fee cut, and virtually all the traders walked out that day. It's been mostly an automated exchange now, and so there's flatter, fewer middles in the bond world, for better or for worse. Hospitals soon have to disclose their pricing. Big Pharma was supposed to announce pricing on TV this summer, but a Big Pharma-friendly judge blocked it. PBMs are being pressured by employers like Caterpillar and others for transparency, as are big brokers through a movement launched by Health Rosetta. Former guest on our show, Dave Chase. Expect flattening is coming. There's more like direct primary care is squeezing out all the middlemen like Atlas MD, publishing all their primary care fees, flattening out those who are charging too much. Surgery Centers of Oklahoma, another former guest, all imaginable surgeries are on their website. Sonos Surgery, the same thing. Medibid, it's a long list of people that are flattening the curve for the middles. So there will be fewer middles, like muni bond brokers, potentially like PBMs. It's impossible to stop transparency movements. So how soon before prices drop and we see this actually happening in the market? Well, nobody really knows, but this is an era of disappearing middles. Will they drop out quickly, months, years? It's coming, undeniably, undeniably for sure. In fact, Jeff Bezos, when he speaks publicly, now talks about the impending death of the middles in all sectors of the economy. So this is a pivot point in history. Thank you, millennials. This transparency movement started with your outrage, and we'll all see the benefits of it soon. And today's guest is another person who you can eliminate the middles with her service. Kristen Dickerson practiced 13 years at the Diagnostic Clinic of Houston as a radiologist, where she served as a two-term president of a 50-physician clinic, not shabby. She currently practices radiology as a partner in a very large group called Radiology Group of Houston. And her clinical interests include cancer, MRI, CT, PET and CT breast scans, imaging, cardiac. Um, and her interests include oncology, MRI, CT and PET, CT and breast imaging and cardiac screening. She founded Green Imaging to provide affordable, high quality medical imaging for the uninsured and for the high deductible patients in Houston and rapidly expanded the company to provide services in Texas. So welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, so tell us what, how the Green Imaging journey started. Okay. Um, I, I, we had a 21% uninsured population in Houston in about 2012, and I think that's a conservative estimate because 
we have a lot of cash pay um, imaging that's coming in from immigrants that, that never gets documented. But there really were no options for affordable cash pay imaging in Houston. In fact, everything was based around the international visitors who came and who were paying, you know, 10 times, um, 20, 30 times Medicare um, for exams. Um, and then we're at Medicare age, but because they were coming in from other countries, they were, the hospital systems were really upcharging the exams. And so there, everybody was feeding on that for so many years in Houston and that tourism that nobody really had good cash pay pricing. And additionally, um, the biggest chain of outpatient imaging centers had been purchased by a hospital and went to hospital pricing. And so there were very few in-network options for people who had, you know, good health insurance. They were subject to the hospital pricing, the $5,000 MRI when they went down the hall to have their MRI. And so um, I, as a radi practicing radiologist, was reading for a lot of these centers. A lot of the, the centers were billing out of network, meaning they were, they were credentialed with, say, United Healthcare, but they weren't going to accept the in-network rates. And so they, it was seen as a surprise bill. It was seen as, um, you know, this $10,000 bill. And a lot of these, because employers were not savvy, they were not limiting the out-of-network benefits, you know, once a person hit their deductible. So they were maybe scanning 10 patients and hitting it big on two patients, and that's the way they made their living. And that's not a good way to practice healthcare. It's not good for the patients. It's not good for the employers. Um, so I decided to open my own imaging center, and I got, you know, did a pro forma, and it was going to be about three to four million to do it the way I wanted to do it. And I looked around, and these facilities were all at 50% capacity. So I had the idea to do a Travelocity-like model and actually do uh, lease arrangements with the facilities and buy their extra time on their scanners at a discount. Um, I was head of a group of radiologists. We would push the images to our PAC system, and we would interpret the exam, assuring quality of the images and the reports across the board. Everything would be read by a you know, board-certified fellowship-trained radiologist and we would be watching the images to make sure that the quality was where we needed it to be. We had a number of physicians in Houston. You know, we were, uh, were very well integrated into the medical center here. We had a number of physicians who had high, patients with high deductibles uh, who began referring patients our way. Patients started finding us organically. Um, you know, the ones who are searching around who, who knew that they had a $6,000 deductible and knew that they couldn't afford the down-the-hall pricing at the hospital. Um, and we really started needing to go be throughout Texas. We had MD Anderson doctors whose patients would go home to Amarillo and needed to, wanted to have their scan there before they came in for their appointment. So we did, by um, about 15 months ago, we were in 110 um, locations in, throughout Texas and really had most of the geographic areas covered. But as I began speaking on cost containment and speaking about healthcare reform, I had employers coming to me and saying, this is great, we wanna do this, but we have employees all over the country. We really need a wider network. And that model was difficult to scale. So it took me a while to figure out that we, we have a scalable model now. We try to uh, contract with radiologist-owned centers nationally, get the private equity, the middlemen out of there. There are a few exceptions to that. There's some very well-run chains of imaging centers that we work with, but our goal is to target independent and um, radiologist-owned centers, and we now have a national network of about a 1,000 centers. Fantastic. Well, so you need to update your website because it still says Texas. It doesn't? Well, our map shows, our, our, our heat map shows the nation, but uh, yeah.
We, we do need bio. to look at it. Oh, my bio, well, so probably, you, yes. This yeah. has really literally been in the last, last August is when we started this mission. So, yeah. This is exciting news, very exciting news. Well, so, so what the average customer patient doesn't understand is that you can go to an imaging center owned by one of your clients uh, that you've leased time from, and the payment is literally one half to one fourth what it would be if it was a hospital owned facility. Even if it's across the street from a hospital, it doesn't matter. You may not even know it's a hospital affiliated. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's my, my down the hall video is where's the most expensive place to go for an MRI. And it's when your doctor writes a prescription and points you down the hall to schedule it because 70% of physicians in this country are employed by or subsidized by hospital systems and whether we like it or not have, and whether it's legal or not have quotas to fill on their referrals. You know, nobody would go to a movie theater to go pick up a six pack of Cokes and nobody would even probably go to the corner store to do the same if they could just stop by the grocery store. It's kind of almost that type of a markup. Nobody would go to the airport to get a scotch if they can buy the <laughs> bottle themselves down the street. And it's exactly the same uh, model, but most people don't. There's a, there's a little obtuseness and maybe a little masking going on with who owns the center that you're going to get that x-ray or that CT scan at. Is there, there's, there's not um, truth in advertising in America right now, is there? There's not. And even the independent outpatient centers, those out-of-network facilities that we frequently are the reading radiologists for, um, the little known fact is, and, and, and physicians do have to disclose they, if they have an ownership, the independent doctors actually have to disclose that they're you know, basically self-referring. But many of those, if not most of them, have physician investors. Well, and the patient is signing away forms. They're signing consent forms like candy at a Halloween party. They don't really know what they're signing. They're just, they don't know that they're signing on with a very expensive location. They have no idea. I was at Texas Children's Hospital with my son last week seeing an orthopedist and literally there were 25 pages of paperwork to sign. Yes, that's incredible. For an outpatient. There's no way they're, they're no, it's a user agreement that they're clicking yes on on their uh, website. It's, it's no different. It's just they've got a pen in their hand. <sighs> okay, so let's talk for a second about the, um, future of imaging. Is this where we're all headed now? Is this not just uninsured insured, but this is where employers that are self-funding going? Because I can't imagine they're going to want to pay higher prices than they need to. No. And I, when we started building the Texas network, having been a self-funded employer at Diagnostic Clinic, um, I understood incentivizing employees to use lower cost, high quality facilities. If, if any care that our employees receive within our you know 50 doctor group and our imaging and our lab was all at no cost to them and we held that away from our blue cross blue shield plan uh, it was so cost effective we didn't care if it hit stop loss or not um, i have employers all over the country now who are incentivizing their employees with a low copay or zero out of pocket or sometimes even shared savings um, to use us as a preferred network and um, it's amazing i just had a woman who gave us a five-star rating and said she drew 210 miles to save 50% on her exam. Incredible. Well, so what do you think about this transparency movement we talked about at the top of the show? Do you think this is a good, healthy thing, that the flattening of the middles is a good thing? I do. I worry a little bit about, there are two things that I worry about. I worry about that, you know, we have 70% of doctors employed by hospital systems, and a lot of those are our very good doctors. Um, I worry about their being able to adopt, um, you know, in, in their own offices, even though, you know, the hospital may be 
making some concessions. It's going to be tough. They don't, most of them don't understand what a third party administrator is. They don't really understand where, who's paying for healthcare. Um, I, I, I'm working with the Association of Independent Doctors to put together a group that helps to educate doctors on, you know, what changes are coming in the next few years and how to be part of it. Because if the doctors are not on board, if they're just, manhandled by the hospital systems or, um, you know, told what to do, I think there's going to be a lot of resistance. I think if doctors realize that they're going to get paid better, which, um, you know, most reference-based pricing is better than they're being paid by the networks, uh, especially for independents. You know, independents spend 30% of their revenue to collect 70% of what they're contracted to receive from the traditional insurance companies. And so when, once they realize that 120, 130, 100, I see some plans at 160, 170% of Medicare, once they realize that's gold and much, much less bureaucracy, I think we're going to have a phenomenal movement. But if the doctors don't understand that and there's not a willing um, uh, base for receiving reference-based pricing and other payment models, I think that's where we're going to struggle with the cost containment movement. Now, define re reference-based pricing for those who've never heard that term or don't understand that. Okay. It's a fancy word for a percentage of Medicare because the, it, I, I know of no other system that anybody is comparing it to, no other reference that anybody's using. So, basically, it is a percentage of Medicare. So, typically, um, in the independent world, Blue Cross Blue Shield is paying anywhere between 85 and 120% of Medicare for outpatient services in the Houston area. They pay tons more than that for hospital care about three times that, but that's the reference. So um, what a Medicare patient would pay, and, and it's pretty paltry these days for an MRI of the extremity, $237 for a non-contrast MRI of the extremity. If it were reference-based pricing at Medicare, it would be the 237. If it were 120% of Medicare, it would be closer to $275, but it, it is a percentage of Medicare. So essentially what we're doing now is you are the, the onboarding of doctors is going to happen because they're getting a better deal. The onboarding of patients, uninsured um, and high deductibles is, is happening because they're getting a better deal. Employers who have a need to keep their self-funding costs down are getting a better deal. Direct primary care, I'm assuming, is a market for you. That's, they're all looking for a better deal for their patients. It seems like the hospital MRI is going to be going the way of the dinosaur eventually. I know it's a huge percentage of the MRIs done out there, but don't you think that's a declining market over time? It is. There's certain things that will never go away that can't, you know, I, I feel like 90% of care can be performed at the primary care and independent doctor level. And there's about 10% of care that has to be handled in a, a hospital system. You know, that's that's a far cry from the the 30% being handled in primary care and um, independent docs right now and 70% in the hospital system. There's a huge differential switch that's gonna happen. I believe we should have flagship hospitals. I believe you know the cost of care there is much higher. The administrative burden is much higher. The bureaucracy is much higher. I believe those 10% should be paid better than, than independent doctors. Their, their overhead is much higher. Um, but we've got to make that shift. You know, they're going to be hospitals, I think, that, you know, shutting right and left. And we're already seeing that in the rural market, unfortunately. And that's the place where we most need them. Yeah, they're closing about one every week right now, and they're hanging on by their fingernails, the ones that are surviving. 
pretty hard to get a uh, doctor to want to move out to nowheresville houston outside of houston when they can work in houston for a lot more a lot better quality lifestyle and a lot more income so that's the problem they can't return return they can't attract the doctors Right. And I, you know, I do know, I know a benefits advisor who's trying to work with these rural hospitals and actually, you know, create plans for their own employees and um, opportunities for the employers in the area. You know, right now what we're having to do, these, these smaller hospitals won't negotiate. So we're having to, you know, get a good deal such that the employees drive an hour and a half to go, you know, get an affordable MRI. You know, we can main, we can keep them local if they'll work with us. But the problem is they, they, they don't understand what's wrong with the system. I think very few people in this country really understand what's broken about the healthcare system. Well, I mean, if I was to go get an MRI and I knew I had some time before I was going in for my procedure, there's no way I would let the hospital do that. I would get it done somewhere else every day of the week. But that, that's an educated consumer. I don't know how many folks out there are educated to even think that way. They're not, nor their employers, and nor are most doctors, and that's that's real. And I think we're just, you know, I think that I think that when you want to talk about transparency, I think the veil is being lifted off. I just looked at claims from a hundred thousand life school district and um, traditional uh, third-party administrators. So it, it was administered by one of the major insurance companies, and we found um, about six hundred. And this is just for a, a group of ten thousand lives. We found about 600 MRIs and CTs that were billed at astronomical prices, and they got through whatever their claims processing scrubber is because they were billed with hospital codes only. They weren't billed by CPT codes as they're supposed to be. Either that or Signal lifted the CPT codes. We're not sure which, but the hospital system was a gap. We had looked at their claims data with CPT codes only, which is how we identify specific studies, and we identified $2 million in savings by using us. Once we found these additional 600 codes, and these are MRIs and CTs in the $26,000, $29,000 range. That is a catastrophic event for a family of a bus driver or a school teacher. A catastrophic event for a school district. The, these teachers' raises were completely eaten up by the increased premiums in their health care for the next year. And they were having to go from a 30% coinsurance to a 70% coinsurance. It's just One crazy. One of the best I saw that was Commonwealth Fund did a study of the last five years, and 78% of the raises, or 78% of Americans' raises, were absorbed completely by healthcare premiums, deductibles, and copays. Right. Three out of four. All right. So let's talk about the future of MRIs. It's what a bleak industry that has been the last 10 years. There, the reimbursements used to be maybe five times. So you were in a high margin, low volume business. Every physician got into it, and at the cocktail parties, we're all bragging that they owned a piece of this one or that one. And they were popping up like McDonald's on every street corner. And then suddenly reimbursements did a funny thing. They got slammed and they, to one-fifth, maybe one-seventh of where they were 10 years ago even. So what was a high-margin, low-volume business turned on its head. It became the low-margin, high-volume business. You, you talk about 50% utilization. That is enough to go broke, right? I mean, that's not a profitable center. Absolutely. And there, there's more and more pressure to buy... Um, equipment that's more and more expensive that doesn't necessarily add diagnostic accuracy. Like in the case of the 3T MRI, it certainly can be used to increase throughput. Um, most of the imaging centers that have them don't use them to increase exam. The, the, the dirty secret is most of them do not improve exam quality. They use it to increase throughput, which is 
it can be a very good thing. I mean, you can have decreased motion on the exam, which adds, you know, will add to image quality, but mostly it's to get those patients in and off the table the fastest. There are a couple of exceptions. Um, breast MRI, there, there's some studies that show that it may be a little more diagnostic accuracy and prostate and staging prostate cancer. But other than that, there, there aren't studies out there to support that it's better. So that's one of those things for shoppers. That's one of those things for the educated consumer. Uh, a 1.5 Tesla magnet is, in general, going to give you equal diagnostic accuracy to a 3T. So you don't necessarily need to go to a more expensive um, site to get the 3T. So I'm, I'm going to say a couple of things you may or may not agree with. But the first thing I'm going to say is I believe um, that radiologists, like every other specialty, really are strong in an area and weaker in other areas. And that the QA, the quality assurance that goes on, is minuscule. And nothing is put in writing when there's not a qual when there's a quality issue, and, and there's no feedback to the radiologist who did the misread. Um, now I'm getting that from a previous guest who has got a company now that is determined that about 30 to 40 percent of all radiology is misread, not because of sloppiness, but because people aren't sticking to their specialty. You're, you're an oncologist, uh, radiologist, and so you understand when you're looking at those scans. So number one is I think if I wish radiologists could stick to their knitting, and I think that's going to be mandatory in the future as this artificial intelligence branches out and picks where the people are good and where they're not. And the second thing I want to get your feedback on is the over-testing. The over-testing is just, I think every 13 seconds a test is unnecessarily ordered in America. So you want to deal with the first one first and the second one second? Um, sure. Um, as far as I, I, you know, I think there are training differentials in radiologists. Um, you know, they're chiropractic radiologists who um, have a, not only a difference in number of years trained, but also um, they're training on basically the spine and, ex, you know, extremities. And yet they're reading body imaging and they're reading um, other, you know, other modalities other than MRI and x-ray. And I think that's, that, that is a very um, difficult problem. I do understand that chiropractors who refer may want a chiropractic radiologist to read, you know, the spine MRI because they speak the same language and that's good and great. But what happens when they miss the renal tumor that's sitting there, you know, that they haven't been trained to read. And that's the other thing about super specialty is that, yes, you may have somebody who's great at the joint, but they're going to miss the atherosclerotic disease that's going to kill the patient next week. Um, it, 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 there's a happy medium, and I'm not sure. I do think, you know, I, I worked closely with some of the AI de companies developing AI, and in fact, we're doing an AI image bank. But um, I, I do worry that subspecialization also, and, and I'm a general radiologist by trade. Um, I, I will say that, you know, but I do know that I get brought a lot of studies that the MSK radiologist or the neuroradiologist read, and there are actually other findings there. So I, you know, I, I think there, that's one of these things that's, that's a balance, and we have to we have to do better. And I, I hope AI, you know, will actually help us in a way that computer-aided detection was unable to. So Kristen, one of the things I love about your website and your your values is that you will tell a patient if they're over testing, they're asking for tests they don't need because they read something on WebMD or they saw a television show that was interesting. I love that you guys make sure that the patients are clear what they need and don't need. We, we do, and, 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 and I've got a caveat there as well, because you know the economics of a 
$250 MRI, which is what they cost at the, the center I own in Houston, um, compared to a $5,000 MRI are very different. So, you know, in general, yes, I think, I think if we have good primary care, I look at my DPC docs and we have about a tenth of the imaging because they actually examine and talk to the patient compared to the patient who calls the nurse and for an, an appointment with their doctor and the doctor says, go get an MRI first and then I'll see you. You know, that's an entirely different animal. The other thing, though, is there are a lot of applications for MRI and other imaging modalities that are very useful um, that, that were not tr traditionally covered. Say you've got a runner who's got shin splints. Do I just have marrow edema? You know, can I run this marathon next week? Do I just have marrow edema or do I have, you know, an actual stress fracture? Things like that that can really make a difference to people. And then the same thing for an elderly person who has, you know, maybe sacral insufficiency fractures, maybe just a little sacroiliac arthritis. Should I keep walking my two miles every day? Should I not? You know, that's a big health question. When you have an appropriately priced imaging exam, especially the ones that don't have ionizing radiation, they become a different tool. And, and I think that's, that's what we have to look at. Um, you know, it's going to be the economics of especially MRI are going to change over time. And ultrasound, we know that for screening, you know, where there's no risk and we get some benefits, especially the carotid artery screening, which we know is the simplest, cheapest way to scan for, um, to screen for, you know, a increased cardiovascular risk. You know, those things become, as the cost comes down, the economics of it changes. So what, I've talked about the over-testing required of the patient because you don't want to offend them and, you know, patient courtesy issues. But what about the over-testing done by physicians who are doing the CYA? Do you um, ever feedback to the docs, hey, you don't really need that one, or do you just comply because you got to? We, we typically will. We will feedback and say, hey, I think, you know, if it's a CT, especially on a young person, we'll say, why don't we try an ultrasound on this one? Um, you know, I know the mother's worried, the patient's worried, but let's, let's get a, you know, let, let's get an exam that has no risk at all and a lower price point. Um, yes, yeah. we have turned away, you know, we certainly would turn away exams that are unneeded and unnecessary. That's, that's never a question. You know, people who want to do screening PET CT with a whole body radiation dose, you know, no, that's not an appropriate use of that modality. So where, where is all of this headed? Are we flattened now? Are we about where we're going to be for pricing? Is there, um, are there any more shocks in the MRI world coming at you that you're aware of or preparing for? I think that, I think as hospital pricing comes down, I think that's going to be the big, the big juggle. Um, I think the pricing by traditional insurers right now is not sustainable. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield paying $240 for an MRI, um, I don't, you, you can't buy your, you know, you can't buy your new machine and sustain that. I think a lot of people are, um, you know, and, and the, the thing is, in most countries, we're working on older 1.5 Tesla magnets, and there's been shown to be no diagnostic difference. But as the, as the helium shortage escalates, which, you know, we, we're, we feel strongly it will, and the independents have less buying power. You know, I do think that the hospitals will find find their way into this market, and it, it may, you know, it may be unsustainable at that point for the independent centers because they don't have the buying power. But it, it, that, that's going to be the big hearts. shift. Yeah, yeah. Think of all those little broken hearts at birthdays that aren't going to have helium balloons at that time. What a scary <laughs> future! Uh, yeah, we need to pump them into our MRI machine. So, Chris, Kristen, what is your vision for green imaging in the next five to ten years? What do you guys look like uh, a few years out? You know, I think about that a lot. Do I, do, you know, I, I, I want to provide low-cost imaging nationally. 
Um, I don't want to lose the touch that we have where it's radiologist owned and, you know, and we don't have private equity middlemen. Um, so I don't know what kind of growth we can sustain doing that, but my favorite thing is to go in and help an employer. They can save 10% on their total healthcare spend just immediately if we just do a quick educational process and incentivize their employees appropriately. Um, I, I don't ever want to grow beyond being able to, to take care of patients at, um, appropriately. So, you know, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how we're able to scale that. Well, I'm glad to see a warrior as smart as you in the transparency movement and in the flattening movement. I, we, we love having all the best and brightest we can attract. And uh, you're certainly one of them and you're accomplished and I, I, I applaud you. So two questions, where can people find you? And the second question would be, if you can fly a banner over America with a simple message to all Americans, what would that message be? Wow, uh, you, that cost does not equal quality in healthcare. That, that's my simplest message. There are, there are no studies that show that cost and quality correlate um, appropriately. And um, number two, you can reach us at www.greenimaging.net, N-E-T. If you do .com, you will end up in Canada. <laughs> okay. Nobody wants to end up in Canada. In Texas is no. Better. By the way, it's nice interviewing somebody I can actually understand with a Texas accent. <laughs> Born in Austin. Born and raised here. Love, love it. Yeah, I can spot that Austin in you. All right. Well, thank you for um, what you brought to the show today. And we're looking forward to keeping up with you as you grow in the future. Thanks again. And I look forward to hearing more from you. Take care. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.